This episode of Podcast for America is brought to you by The Great Courses. The Great Courses offers engaging video and audio lectures from top professors and experts in their fields. The Great Courses created a special limited-time offer for Podcast for America listeners. Order from eight of their best-selling series, including The Skeptic's Guide to American History, at up to 80% off the original price. Don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash America. That's thegreatcourses.com slash America. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to Podcast for America, a show from Panoply about the human feeding frenzy that is a presidential campaign cycle. I'm Alex Wagner, host of MSNBC's Now with Alex Wagner, and I'm speaking to you from the Panoply studios in New York. With me here in New York is Mark Leibovich, national correspondent for The New York Times Magazine. What a lucky day this is. Good mm-hmm. to see you, Mark. Yeah. And in our DuPont Circle studios in Washington is New York Magazine contributing editor Annie Lowry. Hey, Annie, how's our steamy southern studio? Yeah, it's, it's thankfully air-conditioned in here. Excellent. It's neither steamy nor southern. Mark has <laughs> just made giant ostrich fans to cool us off here in New York. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, that's that's why, and that's why he's part of this podcast. That's why it's a special day. We've got three topics today. First up, Nikki Haley, governor of South Carolina, has joined the mayor of Charleston, South Carolina, in distancing herself, if you can call it that, from the Confederate flag, the rebel flag. Nikki Haley, in a press conference late Tuesday, said that the flag should no longer be flown on state house grounds. What does this mean for everybody else in that state and on the national stage? Speaking of the national stage, what's going on with Our Lady the Moderate, Hillary Clinton, these days? She spoke out firmly about the need for gun reform, echoing the president's calls. She's pushing citizens to take the plunge and have potentially uncomfortable dialogues about race. Are these signals of a shift to the left? Or is this just a fresh round of Clinton opportunism? And the third today, Donald Trump did it. He added his name to the list of GOP presidential hopefuls, but he's still polling just outside the realm of making it if you listen to Fox News standards. They're only giving debate stage to the top 10 pollers, and Trump is sitting at a lonely number 11. Will he be destined for a political season of benchwarming? That is not a rhetorical question. We will wrap this all up with our three-part harmony of intellect, the little number we like to call, if I were in charge. So let's get to it. First up. One Sunday has now passed peacefully in South Carolina since the awful shooting in Charleston where nine people were killed. We've seen the photos that the alleged shooter Dylan Roof posted of himself with the Confederate flag. This week, the mayor of Charleston, Joe Riley, said the flag should be retired. And also the governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley, in a, I'll call it a landmark announcement, flanked by a bipartisan group of legislators, including Jim Clyburn, Tim Scott. Reince Priebus was also back in the... In the in the chorus there, Lindsey Graham. Who am I missing? That's those are the major ones. Those I mean, who else do you need in South Carolina? Right? Basically, all the important people right. of South Strom Carolina. Strom Thurmond was brought the out. The ghost of Strom Thurmond yes. was rolling in his grave. Yes. They effectively said, while some of you may see this flag as a symbol of our state pride, it has no place in the future of this state. So I guess I want to ask, Mark, what does this mean for a Republican presidential field that has had a very tricky time in responding to Charleston and also answering the question of whether the Confederate flag has a place in modern America? What do you think Haley's announcement implicates? I mean, speaking as an American 
and as a consumer of politics, I think it's a very, very positive event. It's very, it's a, it was a good thing for her to do. It is a good thing for her to do. As someone who, like all of us, has lived through the headaches of rhetoric after mass shootings, the headaches of watching this country try to discuss race in a rational way, the headaches of listening to politicians, i.e. pretty much all the presidential candidates on the Republican side, trying to finesse this issue and not actually say, let's take down the flag yet. They all say, you know, it's up to the people of South Carolina to decide. I mean, they have, there's this range of, of things that they've said and not said. Um, I Look, I think it's a, a very important event. I think Reince Priebus being there certainly speaks to the political uh, importance of it from, a, from the National Republican Party. I'm frankly shocked that none of the candidates other than, you know, Mitt Romney, who's not a candidate, or Lindsey Graham, who's actually from the state, have actually come out forcefully and matched her rhetoric. Yeah, even Lindsey Graham, Annie, as late as last week, was sort of giving this, on the one hand, on the other hand, answer about the Confederate flag. On the one hand, it's who we are. On the other hand, some people think it's racist. Well, does this move by Haley give license to Republicans all over the country and specifically on the, the national stage to distance themselves from the Confederacy? I can't believe we're even talking about the Confederacy in the year 2015, but we are. It's been very sort of sad to watch the kind of maneuvering around this, given that so many people have said for so long that this symbol is so unbelievably offensive to them. And this isn't about culture and it's not about history. Um, you know, it's 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 a, a racist, it's a symbol of a, of a system of oppression and a really, really awful one. And I think that you're now also seeing this kind of like undercurrent of commentary coming out saying, wait, why, why are we super worried about a flag when we should also be worried about, you know, this conversation about racism and contemporary America and the the threats of violence against, you know, at this point, dozens and dozens of African-Americans that have made the headlines. The whole thing is just, I mean, starting with the initial incident, the whole thing just makes me really queasy and really sick. Well, well, I would say, though, that, look, first of all, the, the, the media's fixation, everyone's fixation on, you know, whether Obama, you know, used the N-word. By the way, he was on a podcast, not our own. I know. How do we let this happen? WTF Um, for real. WTF for real, exactly. But that, and let's say, okay, so it becomes an issue of the flag. It becomes an issue of, you know, who is politicizing this left or right. I mean, look, this is a damnable outrage. The fact that the flag is still up, I think... You, you would get overwhelming consensus across the country is a bad thing. Now, would, you would not find that within the South Carolina legislature that it's a bad thing. But look, I mean, the Republican I'll, field... Yeah, I, I think we'll, I think it's possible that, that ultimately Haley has sort of offered this as her stance on the flag, right. but it's up to the legislature to pass a measure removing it from the grounds of the statehouse. Politics is politics, right? But I feel like, I mean, at this particular moment, for sure, they would they would move it from the statehouse grounds. Will they do it when they're sort of back in session in a few months? And you have to figure that all of these all of these folks who are running for president are thinking about those South Carolina primary voters. Right. And this is the kind of uncomfortable truth. There's a lot of South Carolina primary voters who are going to vote in that Republican primary who think that the Confederate flag is, you know, a symbol of a period in time and part of their heritage, as opposed to, again, this 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 symbol of, um, you know, of, of a really awful period in American life. And I was really moved by seeing Jim Clyburn and Lindsey Graham standing there with Nikki Haley talking about the removal of the Confederate flag and hearing her say this flag is not part of it is part of South Carolina's past. It is not part of South Carolina's future. Right. That in and of itself felt like progress. And we are rarely shown progress on the issue of race. So that was good. But then some part of me just thought, oh, God, why is Reince Priebus there? Because that to me signaled 
There is a Republican National Committee calculation here that in January of 2016, they do not want this to be a question that is asked on the debate stage. And I guess my my concerns with that are twofold. One, that, that, that the sort of icky political aspect makes me feel bad, but also... Isn't it? There's no way you can neutralize this issue. It, it's going to be asked no matter what, don't you think? It, it, it is. But I also think, though, that for as icky as the political context that Reince Priebus embodies is, I mean, look, the moral leadership of the Republican Party has to come from somewhere. And the candidates have not led on yeah. this issue. And what's kind of depressing about it is that this is a very deep and somewhat diverse field of Republican candidates. And even the non-candidates, like Nikki Haley, for instance, I mean, this is a, you know, she's an Indian American woman. She's a bright star in the party. I mean, she's had trouble, you know, in South Carolina. But, you know, this is someone who presumably will be part of, like, the conversation for a long time. I mean, not a single one of them, and, and even like Jeb Bush, who has been pretty um, steadfast in his support for immigration reform, in his support for, you know, things like Common Core. I mean, he, he has not run a primary campaign to this point. And you would think that if he wants to be aligned with the future the way Reince Priebus is now or wants the party to be in the future, I mean, he would actually get out front of this. I mean, that to me has been the single biggest surprise his silence so far. He well, he Jeb Bush had tweeted out after Haley made her announcement a, a tweet of support. Um, I know Scott Walker also has has voiced his support for the removal of the flag. Lindsey Graham was actually up there. It is okay. There's another aspect to all of this when we talk about the GOP's issues on race, um, and and that is in in the form of Earl Holt, the leader of the Council of Conservative Citizens. It was revealed on Monday that he was the white supremacist donor uh, in the 2016 race and has given money I'm to sure Senator. Yeah, the, I should yeah. I guess I shouldn't say the one. Uh, of- he is he is so far the public, the publicly known white supremacist donor, a leading white supremacist, a leading donor. white supremacist <laughs> donor was given money to Rand Paul and Rick Santorum and Ted Cruz, all of whom have said they are either refunding the money or making a donation in some cases to the Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, where, of course, a massacre took place. Um I I just feel <laughs> if you find out one day on your campaign trail that one of the people donating money to your effort is a white supremacist, that to me would say, well, now what is it about my platform that is attractive to white supremacists? Obviously, people can't control who donates to their campaign, but this should be some kind of signal, should it not, Mark? Yes and no. I'm sure pretty much every major candidate, if you look down the the backgrounds of all of their donors. I mean, you can probably find some problematic donors. But having said that, yeah, I mean, I don't think it bothers them terribly. I mean, I don't think people like Rand Paul and Rick Santorum, who, you know, aren't listening to us, I mean, I would venture to say. It is podcast for some of America. It, well, it is podcast for some of America, yes. It, it, you know, and by the way, we welcome Rand Paul and Rick Santorum. We will have part, them in a future podcast. We will have them. At least we'll mention their names in a future podcast. <laughs> we, will, we will promise that. Look, I, I actually think that Republicans have gotten pretty good. And, and, you know, this includes like Roger Ailes, by the way. I mean, the, the people who speak to the constituency that elects Republican candidates do not and probably should not care what people like the three of us think. Wait, I don't... uh, Do you really think they don't care that one of the white supremacists from whom uh, Dylan Roof took, like, his ideological cues, 
that they don't care that that guy. I mean, I kind of agree with with Mark in the sense that these these sort of like mini scandals bubble up every single election. So, you know, in in 2008, Hillary Clinton returned money for this guy that was in, implicated in this like illegal investment thing. I'm I'm looking at it. I know, like a but long that's list of this. just Bob Dole returned money from the law. But I'm not saying I'm not talking generally like so it depends on the category how you this think is pretty of it, bad. Right? Oh, absolutely. And notably, this guy, I guess that a lot of the donations he was making were small enough that they wouldn't it wasn't like a five million dollar check. Right. It was like a two hundred fifty dollar check. So, you know, if yeah, it, they were like thousand dollars. Yeah. So if you're getting a lot of those little small donations, you don't vet any of them. But I think that that probably what happens is the campaign puts them in this category of awkward things that we have to do to return this money. It's just going to happen when you're receiving money from all sorts of different sources, as opposed to kind of being like, what does it mean when I get money from a racist or somebody who's in jail, you know, whatever else it is. Do I get money from Do we get money from racists? Are there racists who are subscribing to we, Podcasts for America? We don't get money. Is we actually it is learned. Wait, wait, this just in. We have learned that one of our we're subscribers. We're paying to be here. No, oh, we're paying. Yeah, it's true. Well, one of our subscribers, or one of our, one of both of them, no, uh, has questionable past. We looked at some of his term papers in college. Ah. And we'll be returning his Podcast for America. Theme. Indeed. We, we have no. found that I, parts of them were borrowed from other sources just, without attribution. No, but, you know, Alex, here, let me, I would say, look, I'm sorry. Do you think they excuse it away? Uh, yeah, I think that they justify it. I think politics is an art of big, wide-scale rationalization. I think when something like this happens, there's this whole two-step that, oh, I'm returning the money, I'll donate it to some, you know, politically expedient charity and um let's move on with it that way i look all high-minded no one's going to forget there's no gut check are you kidding no no No, i think that it's i think mark's absolutely right like politics is very much the art of of switching your values to match your actions as opposed to changing your actions to match your values oh man i just feel that's so fucking demoralizing But but yes it's politics but yes i'm sure i'm sure actually it was hey rick this crazy guy down in, I don't know where Earl Holt is from, was giving you money. We got to return we it. We got to get out front of this. No, look, I mean, politi- we don't, n- none of us were born, you know, either yesterday or even 20 years I was, ago. Uh, well, I was born actually, 17 Annie, you, years ago. Were you born? So. Actually, well. Um, were you born? Is this you, just an intelligent zygote we're speaking to? No. Um, I, you know, I think we all want what's best for America. Can we agree on that? As yeah, and that's actually a great, a great mm-hmm. segue to a woman who really, truly wants the best for America. What is going on with Hillary Clinton this week? Ever the composed and moderate voice of calculated caution, she stepped up swiftly after the shooting in South Carolina and spoke about the need for gun control. Is our candidate for moderate in chief shifting her politics ever so slightly or actually pretty forcefully to the left side of the party? Annie, I felt like her comments on this past weekend on Charleston were impassioned. And legitimately, she has now again and again and again kind of surprised. And I feel like we've actually talked about this. She's surprised Democrats by moving in the same direction as the party and kind of being a little bit more of a liberal. And and so she's staked out on all sorts of different issues, right, on social issues, on sort of family friendly policies. Um, There's a few areas where we don't know whether she's going to continue this. You know, I think Wall Street regulation is a big one, for instance, you know, how how strong she's going to be. 
but nevertheless she's she's kind of going with the times and i think that if you if you assume that this is a cynical maneuver which for the moment i'm going to assume um <laughs> I think that she just feels that this is where the party is headed and that a lot of these things actually really do appeal to kind of your average centrist American um, and that this is going to be the way to kind of um, win that broad coalition of hearts and minds that she's going to need. Can I just say, we always talk about President Obama being in the zero fucks stage of his presidency last quarter or whatever. I got to say, I got to hand it to Hillary Clinton. I feel like this is kind of like a zero fucks candidacy on some level. I mean, I look, some of this stuff isn't that politically risky, but some of it is not going to. I mean, OK, can I just say make two points, Mark? One is uh, like the voting. Make me. Three points. Yeah, three. <laughs> the voting me is like, oh, this is this is great. This is going to keep her as the head of the Obama coalition. She's going to win. Uh, these are the values that I care about. The uh, MSNBC host political analyst in me is like, Okay, but what happens when she's actually commander in chief and she has to deal with Congress and they feel like the the divide that is ever increasing under this current Democratic president is is also is a calcified under her, given her pretty strong rhetoric on inequality and race and a host of other issues that make Republicans really, really uncomfortable. Well, I will say that first of all, I'm impressed by the 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 sharpness of her rhetoric, especially on guns um, in the aftermath of this. And it does show a couple things. One, it shows how freely and forcefully you can speak when you have no competition. It also shows how freely and forcefully you can speak when you are separated from the Mark Penn calculations yeah. that yeah, that made her the centrist in chief or the would be centrist in chief 2000 and, in 2008. I mean, you know, this is not someone who looks like she is obsessed with like, you know, catering to to white working class Democrats. I mean, I think she assumes she'll get them. But I also think, look, I mean, or she's not even playing for them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a fairly one. I think she does believe this stuff. I, I think and I think she believes and is probably right that that a majority of the country believes this stuff. It's it's good politics. It happens to, I think, really be where her heart is. And 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 look, I don't I mean, the calcified country that she might inherit if she were to win the presidency. Um, just listening to you earlier, I actually had a sense of hope that. I mean, think of the Republican Party if they were to lose to Hillary Clinton. I mean, you would think that they would have some kind of joint or, or you know, collective humbling that would actually move in a direction that had has already seen the move on gay marriage, for instance, a little bit. Um, I mean, they've, that would be three elections they would have lost in a row. And, you know, frankly, they are catching up, I think, grudgingly to the country in a third election loss under someone who I think is probably going to be a better collaborator with them than Barack Obama has been, could be a very, very, you know, potentially unifying coalition. Um, Annie, she mentioned Arkansas and upstate New York as a shout out to the gun lovers in the same breath that Clinton called for gun reform. And she did go on record in 2013 backing the bipartisan plan to require universal background checks on gun purchases. That, of course, didn't pass. Do you think there's a chance that Hillary Clinton might wade into gun control on the campaign trail? This is, I think, one of the most interesting and intractable areas of our politics, where a large group of Americans agree with Hillary Clinton in in certain protections that would probably result in fewer Americans purchasing guns, and a very small but extremely interested and vocal and powerful group of people don't want that. This has always been true. Uh, we've had massacre after massacre. 
the outcry is always the same and the politics never changes. So if she were to make it a kind of centerpiece, if she were to push on it hard, do I think things could change? Sure. Because right now, I think where you see a lot of activity in gun control, either in the side of liberalizing it or in the side of making it harder to get a weapon, is not at the federal level. Obviously, it's at the state and local level. Um, And I think that that's another thing. You know, how much does federal pressure matter on this area? I'm not sure it does. Well, I would also say, though, in a primary context, this is it's a very safe issue. Bernie Sanders also, it should be noted, has a pretty mixed record on gun control. He is, um, you know, he the, the gun lovers tend to like him in Vermont. I mean, he, he is not someone who has taken on this issue. I mean, the, the uh, you know, there's a lot of outdoorsmen, a lot of hunters in, in, in Vermont. So I remember when I first sort of was writing about him many years ago, I was stunned by how you know, he was getting a lot of money from NRA types. And so, yeah, I don't know if this is a wedge issue for her within the primary and, you know, if Bernie voters are going to, like, vote on guns. But, you know, to me, it, there's a big opportunity for her. Yeah, well, and, and the president like set the table issues. for that because he's issued such a clear call for gun safety reform and continues to throughout all of this. Right. I mean, the other thing, look, I, I hate to be so crass about a terrible incident like this, but, you know, you, you have seen time and time again that, the change does come from the grassroots. And and President Obama would not have gotten close to this issue or, or any kind of change if it weren't for Newtown, right? I mean, you know, they didn't get anything done. But, you know, it was pretty well known that I mean, he came really close. He got much closer than he thought he would get. And unfortunately, this is probably going to keep happening. And... This debate's probably going to keep happening, and I guess every little time there's going to be some incremental yeah. move forward. And, you know, one yeah. one thing that I do think is interesting is that the uh, gun control lobby it now exists and it has Mike Bloomberg's money, right? So to mm. the extent that you're going to have some organized opposition to groups like the NRA that you haven't had before, or at least uh, a little bit better funded and perhaps more cohesive, you know. But but again, I, I think that. Probably odds are that, that inertia continues and the issue just continues to be intractable. Having Bloomberg's millions definitely helps in the fact that they want to start scoring lawmakers on this is also really interesting. Like, didn't they just start a publication? Didn't like Bloomberg just start, like, it's called The Trace or something? I, there was some party that I was not invited to. That I, actually, <laughs> oh, I think sure, I wasn't Mark. I just, Mark, just tried to, Mark just tried to make that no. not into a humble brag. No, I didn't go. I didn't go. <laughs> I, no I wasn't. Go. Well, it was I was. An excellent, no, um... I don't know. Alex, I mean, have you been invited to a party recently? I have not been invited uh, to a, an illustrious can... The Trace party. But, you know, oh, I'm, I'm just sorry a... I missed that. It was a Juliana, <laughs> was a Juliana Glover's house. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, wow. <clears throat> can we get personal And that's here? where change happens. <laughs> that is where change... No, it's where no people... offense, Juliana. It's where people We're just come giving together. Mark a hard time. Uh, we, we celebrate, Juliana. You're all that makes us great. This episode of Podcast for America is brought to you by The Great Courses. The desire to learn doesn't stop after college. The Great Courses offers engaging video and audio lectures from top professors and experts in their fields. Recently, I watched their lecture series, The Skeptic's Guide to American History. Presented by award-winning professor Mark Stoller, this series filters through the myths and misconceptions about America's past to offer new perspectives on pivotal events. It's great for somebody who wants to study history, uh, who spends a lot of time in the car, who would like to be able to break these things down into a couple minutes here and there in their day. It's accessible and it's fun. The Great Courses, celebrating their 25th anniversary, has over 500 courses on topics like history, science, photography, and more. Watch or listen with online downloads and streaming via the Great Courses apps or on DVDs or CDs. 
The Great Courses created a special limited time offer for our listeners. Order from eight of their best-selling series, including The Skeptic's Guide to American History, at up to 80% off the original price. But hurry, this 80% savings is only available for a limited time. Don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash America. That's thegreatcourses.com slash America. Let's move on to another a person that makes us great or terrible, Donald Perfect. Trump, who officially announced his candidacy but has not been able to poll above the top 10%, which is, of course, the cutoff that Fox News set for invitations to breathe that rarest of air at the Republican primary debate. Okay, Mark, is Donald Trump going to be on the debate stage? Well, I mean, speaking as a consumer, I would hope so. Oh, yes. Um, However, I also think it would be fantastic if he wasn't on the debate stage. I think it would be interesting for a lot of levels. One, I think it would be an important statement about the Republican Party's appetite for sort of ingesting the level of clownishness that that he embodies. But I I think it would be even more interesting to watch him try to slunk away or try to spin this in a way that... That's a you know, carnival in just, and of itself. Well, but, but also just the reality distortion field and the chutzpah of saying things that are so clearly not true about himself and his greatness and his status and his wealth. I mean, it's almost Steve Jobs level with like several levels of tackiness attached to it. I mean, Steve Jobs, you always hear that term. What was it? The reality distortion field, right? Mm-hmm. That he would say things and he would will them to be true and he would will the consumer population to believe it. And, and you know, he would create products that met just the 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 artistic you know taste and that people didn't realize they had uh donald trump is sort of the opposite i mean he's sort of he's like the idiocracy in you know embodied and i think look the republicans would be thrilled if he absorbed all of that and it were sort of chucked off to the side so if reince priebus is pulling the strings on race i wonder annie if he's going to be pulling the strings in some way on who gets to the be on the debate stage which would seem eminently more controllable than this incendiary but still incredibly relevant topic of race yeah you would you would think right and i will be very interested to see any potential reporting coming out about fox talking with uh, Reince Priebus about who is going to be up there and who's not. One thing that I think is really interesting is now we're going to have this this wonderful test case to see if the Donald actually wants to put his billions where his mouth is. Because he has essentially his unlimited an unlimited campaign funds, according to his, you know, very inflated financial statement. You can do a lot with that money. You can certainly bring yourself up above, you know, 1%, 2%. Uh, so so let's see how much he's willing to put his, his fortune behind a potential run here. I'm very excited to see that. I harbor in my mind a fantasy that Trump, if he is cut out of the presidential debate, sort of sets up his own Trumpian affair that he then invites other candidates to. I, I wouldn't put it past You them. know, like a sort I, of alternative debate. It would be so debate. great if it were like an and island NBC, well, not and NBC. their tapes <laughs> and, network. you know, one gets well, sent off with a rose and a what canoe. Is, well, what's, what's his network? What, the Apprentice, what, 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 NBC. Is that on NBC? All yeah. right, yeah. see, I mean, you have an in. I mean, you should talk to your yeah. bosses. Um, yeah, I won't comment on that. You but, should not. But, but, um, listen, I, why the hell not, though? If you're Donald Trump, I mean... You're, that's the whole point of Trump, is that he's the actually the carnival barker that can convene a circus. And the que- Who would he invite? I mean, I mean like, Carly, he, everyone that doesn't make it to the, the, the wait, you see, But I don't think he would be... I don't <laughs> think he would be... 
I, I think it would be a bad move. I think he would make it his own thing. He would just buy airtime. He would buy like an yeah. hour long ad opposite Ross you know, the style. Bait. Although, where would he go? I mean, I guess I mean, CNN's not going to sell him in that. Well, who knows? He'll sell. He'll go somewhere. I think the networks take your money. Yeah, they don't. They rarely do. They? They're mercenary. Well, it depends on what he wants. I mean, it yeah. just depends on what Donald Question Trump is, wants. Will the hair come down before the flag comes down? <laughs> Right. That and these what are flies higher, right? That is the which has more hairspray. No, wait. Uh, <laughs> okay, now we're going to move on to the incendiary dramatic finish that we have for each one of these delicious podcasts. <laughs> it is called "If I Were in Charge," wherein we assume, assume the role of monarch for a minute and tell America what we would do if we were in charge. Annie, let's start with you. Yeah. So this is this is pivoting off of. The flag controversy this week. I often drive in the state of Virginia. Uh, I live very close to it. Very often when I'm driving, I'm driving on the Jefferson Davis Memorial Highway, and it makes me angry every time I'm on it. So let's let's like rename the Jefferson Davis Memorial Highway as quickly as possible. It was um, the entire reason that we have the Jefferson Davis Memorial Highway is that it, there was like a lobbying effort by the United Daughters of the Confederacy. It's terrible. Anything named after Jefferson Davis should be renamed and we should take the statues down of him. That's my plea. I like it. Mark? But it's our heritage. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm reminded of this every time something awful happens and I'm on Twitter, which is an unfortunate combination, but everyone sends thoughts and prayers. Mm. Okay. Prayers, if you are a person of faith, it's nice to know that you're praying for me or for it or for the victims. Thoughts, though, I don't get that. I don't really want your thoughts. I don't think the victims in this moment are taking any solace at all from one's thoughts. What does one's thoughts mean? I would eliminate thoughts from the thoughts and prayers construction. Our prayers are going out for you. Thank you. Thank you. Succinct. I'm going to follow on what you guys are talking about, and I think not only should we get rid of memorials to the Confederacy around the country, we should start erecting plaques where people were lynched and hung, as Brian Stevenson at the Equal Justice Initiative is doing, because we have not reconciled clearly our history with slavery and the violence that has been perpetrated against the black people of America and the violence that actually was foundational to our economy that built this country in a way, the blood that was shed. And I just want I want politicians to go on record in support of of monuments to to our violent past. I mean, I feel like, you know, we talk about litmus tests and how many horribly corny, irrelevant litmus tests there are. But I really do feel like this says something about your moral character, your the fiber that makes you who you are, whether you support the stuff and whether you don't. I thought it was really remarkable that John McCain came forward in his book after he basically voiced support for the Confederate flag in the 2000 race to win the South Carolina primary, came out after that and said that was like one of the things he regretted most in his political career. He actually went to South Carolina right afterwards while the campaign was still ongoing to renounce his cowardice. Actually, no, I think he had just dropped out and he he criticized himself. He flagellated himself. Yeah, of and course, that, that was 15 years ago. Yeah, right? but it so. still felt meaningful. And I feel like in a, in, a, in a season of politics where so much doesn't feel like it has meaning, this actually is something that really has some weight to it. Yeah. God, it would have been a great opportunity for someone in the Republican field to get out front of this immediately. Yeah. Uh, if not on guns, which I realize is a probably one step too far, at least on the flag. Well, that ends this, I would say, thoughtful emotionally weighty. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll be focused on the irrelevant next Please. week. 
Don't hold it against me. <laughs> that is it for Podcasts for America. Our producer this week is Jocelyn Frank. Thanks also to Jeff Friedrich, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or a comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover our show. For Annie Lowry and Mark Leibovich, I'm Alex Wagner in New York. We'll talk to you next time, and thanks for listening.